0: Let's pray and let God to speak to us through his word this morning. Lord, this passage, uh, this next passage that you spoke on the Sermon on the Mount is very powerful and sobering and rightly understood, deeply encouraging. And I pray that you would do all of that in our hearts through your word by the Spirit. You'd come, Lord, help me to be clear and clear. Give me the right heart that I need to have here, Lord, more of you, more of your love upon me right now, and open all of our hearts to your word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. 27 through 30 is what we're talking about, next section on the Sermon on the Mount, and if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, we want you all to have one that you can look on with. Matthew five twenty-seven is on page eight hundred and ten in the Bibles we're passing out. So keep your hands up. We'll bring one to you. Now while you're turning to Matthew five twenty seven, I want you to imagine that you're you're driving along the road and uh, you see someone in front of you who's pushing his car on the road and you're thinking, okay, this guy's run out of gas, needs my help. And so you stop by, you roll down your window and you say, Hey, can I give you a lift? to the next gas station so that you can get the, get the gas that you need. Now, think of how surprised you would be if he looks at you and says, well, that's okay, uh, I don't use gas. I just push my car where we want to go. <laughs> now, you'd think he was crazy, right? Because cars are not supposed to be pushed. Cars are supposed to be powered with gasoline. It's just a whole lot easier that way. You'd think he was a little crazy. Now, here's why I mention that. Too often... That's how we live our Christian lives. Like the guy pushing the car. Okay? See, Jesus doesn't just give us commands in the scriptures that we're supposed to push ourselves to obey. Jesus, along with those commands, gives us reasons, promises, warnings, which the Holy Spirit will use to empower us to obey whole different ball game much more dramatic than the difference between pushing your car and boom 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 starting it up so let me just say this again this is so important to get jesus doesn't just give us commands in his word which he wants us to push ourselves to obey along with those commands jesus gives reasons promises and warnings which the Holy Spirit uses to empower us to obey. Beautiful how God has set the Christian life up to be lived. Now, the reason I mention that is because in this passage, Jesus calls us to battle sexual lust. But he doesn't just give us a command that we're supposed to push ourselves to obey. In this passage, he gives us a warning, in this case, which the Holy Spirit will use to, to empower us to obey. So let's look at what he says. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, or for women, looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, one of your members, than that your whole body go into hell. Powerful passage here. Now it's clear from the first two verses that Jesus is correcting something. Did you catch that? He says, You heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks with lustful intent is already committing adultery in your heart. So, Crucial question to start off with is, what is Jesus correcting here? What's he correcting? And you could easily think he's correcting the Old Testament, because that's what he's quoted. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. So you could think Jesus is correcting the the Old Testament. Like, the Old Testament, all it talked about was, don't commit sexual actions that are wrong, and the Old Testament doesn't really worry about sexual desires that are wrong. Is that true? No, it's not. 10th commandment of the first 10 commandments says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. There's the issue of coveting. That would be lust, okay? And if you've read Job lately, Job 31 has a beautiful passage where Job talks about how he's made a covenant with his eyes that he will not look at any woman with sexual lust wrongly, besides his wife. So. The Old Testament talks very much, not just about sexual actions that are wrong, but the Old Testament talks about sexual desires that are wrong. So Jesus can't be correcting the Old Testament here. Do you see where I'm going? And yet he quotes the Old Testament. So what's he correcting? And I think the answer is that he's correcting the way that the scribes and Pharisees distorted the Old Testament. I mean, they distorted the Old Testament all day long. They took the Old Testament, beautiful God's word, the Old Testament, and they twisted it and distorted it into a strange system of works that bore no relation to what God was actually saying in the Old Testament. So what they taught was, don't do any sinful sexual actions, but we'll just kind of wink at sinful sexual desires and lust. And Jesus says, no. You've heard it said, scribes and Pharisees, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman... Women, if you look at a man with sexual intent, you've already committed adultery with her, with him in your heart. So Jesus is not correcting the Old Testament. He's correcting the scribes and Pharisees' distortion of the Old Testament. Big difference. Okay, so what's he calling us to do here? What is Jesus really calling us to do? We're his followers... Sermon on the Mount is for us. This is how he wants people who are following him, trusting him, who've been forgiven. This is how he wants us to live. What is he calling us to do? And in a nutshell, he's saying, don't have sexual desires towards anyone. Don't have sexual thoughts. Don't have sexual feelings. Don't have sexual desires towards anyone who's not your spouse. In a nutshell. That's what he's saying here. Now, let's clear up one possible misunderstanding, and that is, Many people think that that God's kind of nervous about sex. He's a little uncomfortable with it. It's a little awkward. Okay, but we've got to understand, sex was God's idea, right? I mean, He has created us so that a a husband and a wife can give and receive pleasure from each other in a way that builds intimacy, in a way that builds closeness, in a way that's fun, in a way that builds joy, right? This is God's idea. One of His good gifts that He's given to us. And so if you think God's embarrassed about sex, that's not what's behind this command. I mean, read the Song of Solomon, okay? Read Proverbs 5. The the Bible celebrates sex within marriage as holy, as good, as awesome. So the point here is not that God's nervous about sex. The point is that we have taken God's good gift of sex and we have so trashed it so distorted it, so messed it up. I mean, just think about, you know, you you watch TV or movies, I mean, think about the advertisements and how they try to lure us in with sex, right? Or, you know, TV shows, movies, where, you know, instead of decent, exciting plots, it's just kind of, you know, hooking you with sex. Or think about porn. And I read some stats this week. This is just heartbreaking. Uh, What was this? Get this right. Over 70% of children have seen porn on the internet at least once? Children. Over 70%. In a study of college students, every week, at weekly, over 60% of the men and over 17% of the women view porn. Weekly, amongst college students. So we've taken God's good gift of sex, which he meant to bond a husband and wife together in marriage, in the, in the security of that life commitment to each other to celebrate that intimacy and that joy in the confines, the safe, secure confines of of the commitment of marriage, this wonderful gift God's given to us, and we've just, we've messed it all up. But now, here's the good news. No matter how messed up you've been in terms of your, your sexual thoughts, life, sexuality practice, no matter how grievously you've been sinned against in this area, Jesus Christ stands All-powerful. And he can redeem your sexuality. He can redeem you in this. He can wash you clean. You're whiter than snow because of what he's done. He can empower you. He can enable you. He can liberate you. He can free you. And some of you need to hear this because you've given up, some of you, this morning. You've given up in this area. Never going to change. Just defeat, 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 defeat. But Jesus Christ stands before you with all authority and all power. His death on the cross, which will cleanse you. His resurrection power, which can change you. And he can liberate and redeem, cleanse, wash, meet you in this crucial area of life. So here's what he's calling us to do. Celebrate sex as his good gift in marriage and shun Sexual thoughts, desires, feelings in any context outside of marriage. That's the point of verse 28. Read it again. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here's what this means don't click on the porn site. Okay? Don't take a second look at the woman who walks into Starbucks. Don't fantasize about the trainer at the gym. Okay? This this is what it means. Jesus says, this is how I want you to walk. Now, that's the command. He doesn't just give us this command so we push ourselves to obey. He also gives us reasons. In this case, warnings, which the Holy Spirit will use to empower us to obey. And this warning, the way Jesus motivates us here, is, is shocking. Let me just say it, it is shocking, but let's unpack it. Look what he says, verse 29: "If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the members one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away." For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now you could think that Jesus here is teaching that the problem is with your eye or with your hand. But you won't get very far reading the Gospels before you see that's clearly not what he means. Mark 7, one obvious passage where he says, Where does adultery come from? From the heart as well as where does theft come from, where does anger come from. These things all come from the heart. The body is not the problem. It's not your right eye that's the problem. It's not your, your right hand that's the problem. So what Jesus is doing here is he's using a metaphor. He's using an analogy. But get the power of this analogy. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, it, you, you should feel totally shocked by this. Okay, that's his, that's his intention. He's saying, imagine that you lived in a world where sexual lust was caused by your right eye. Okay, men, just imagine that this is the world we lived in. Jesus would say the smart thing to do would be gouge it out. Isn't that a little extreme? Isn't that a little, like, hasty? I mean, would you be a blindfold? No, he says gouge it out. If that was the cause of your sexual lust, the smart thing to do would be to gouge the eye out. Why? Why such an extreme thing? Because it's much better to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. Hello? Or what if you lived in a world where sexual sin was caused by your right hand? He wants you to imagine this. What if if sexual sin was caused by your right hand? He says, chop it off. So extreme. So costly. Why? Because it makes much more sense to think of going to heaven with one hand than going to hell with two. Are you feeling what he's saying here? Here's what Jesus wants us to understand, and, and he wants us to be shocked What he's saying is, behind all of this, is the implication that if I, if you, continue in sexual sin, if we continue in sexual sin, we could lose heaven and be doomed to hell. See, here at Mercy Hill, we want to just take Jesus' words as they are. And isn't that what he's saying here? If he's not saying that, then I don't know what he's saying. His reason makes no sense if he's not saying that. What he's saying is, if you continue in sexual sin, and I chose my words very carefully, you could, not would, you could repent, right? God can intervene. But if you continue in sexual sin, you could, I'm sorry, did I get that right? You could, not would, you, you could end up losing heaven and facing hell. He wants us to feel this. Now, here's the problem. How are we supposed to understand that warning? I think there's two ways we can misunderstand it, and I want to try to help you understand how we we integrate that in with the rest of what Scripture teaches. One way we can misunderstand that is to say, um, that warning clearly does not apply to me, because I know that once saved, always saved, and I know that just doesn't sound gospel to me, So that doesn't apply to me, because we're into into the gospel here, which we are. But listen, nobody preaches the gospel better than Jesus. This is part of the gospel. This warning is part of the gospel, okay? So it's not, not helpful to say, that doesn't apply to me. Jesus is talking, I mean, who's he talking to here? Us, okay? So that's one not helpful way to take this warning, is to say, this doesn't apply to me. Another not helpful way to take this warning is to say, yikes, What that must mean is that someone can be born again by the Holy Spirit, redeemed, adopted, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom, fully saved, fully forgiven, Christ indwelling them. Somebody can have that happen to them and maybe still end up in hell. Mm, The Bible clearly teaches that's not true. That cannot happen. The good work God has started in you, he will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jude twenty four, not of him who's able to keep you from stumbling, all those he who's called, he's justified, he will glorify. All these passages. So that's not true either. So here's here's two wrong ways of taking this warning. It doesn't apply to me, because I you know, once saved, always saved. That's not helpful. It does apply to us. He speaks it to us. But then to say, Well, that must mean that saved people can go to hell and the Bible clearly teaches that's not true. So how can we understand this pa uh, this morning? Let me try to explain it, and then we'll have some time, Lord willing, for questions and you can you can tell me if, if, if this makes sense or not. How should we take this, this warning? To understand how to take this warning, we've got to unpack what is it, what happens when God saves us. What happened when God saved you, or what would happen when God does save you? Maybe this morning will be the morning that you're saved, okay? What happened when God saved you? What happened was, as you turned to Jesus Christ from your sin, and you said, I trust you, Jesus, as Savior... I trust you as Lord. I trust you as treasure. At that moment, you're completely forgiven for all your sins. God pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit, and for the first time, you feel his presence, and you're satisfied and full of joy. You're tasting the joy you were created for knowing God. Forgiveness, God's presence. And then third, crucial, God brings his power upon you at that point, point. and he starts to change your heart, and he starts a heart renovation work that he will continue every day without stopping, without failing until he brings you all the way to heaven. He starts a good work in your heart and everyone in whom he starts that work, everyone who gets saved, he will continue that good work all the way until the end. No one that he starts that work in will go to hell. Everyone that he starts that work in will go to heaven. Now, one part of that heart work that he puts in us is to change our hearts so that when we read warnings like this, we tremble and we say, Jesus is telling me that if I continue in sexual sin, I could lose heaven and face hell. And we tremble. He's changed our hearts so our hearts respond to those warnings. Our hearts tremble at those warnings. We say, Jesus, help me. Give me power. Give me strength. Satisfy me. Meet me. And we pray and we immerse ourselves in God's word. And we get brothers around us to pray for us. And we fight the fight of faith so we won't continue in sin. He changes our hearts so we read warnings like this and we say, Whoa! I'm going to fight by your power, by your grace, to resist sexual sin. And because that's the heart we have and because that's how we respond to the warnings, then we resist sexual sin. And we don't take the second look at the woman who walks into Starbucks. And we don't click on the porn. Or, if and when we do, because saved people are not sinless, right? So, or, if and when we do, our heart starts to tremble because we remember the warning. Because God's changed our hearts because we're saved, when we stumble, we'll tremble at the warning and say, look at what I've done. Jesus, help me. Forgive me. Wash me. Fill me. Free me. Liberate me. And whenever we turn back to Jesus after a stumbling like that, what is he doing? Luke 15, prodigal son story. He's running towards you. He's running. The moment you turn back and say, forgive me. Here I am, poor in spirit again. First beatitude, right? Jesus runs towards you. He pulls out the, the, the robe. He puts the ring on your finger. He busts out the fattened calf. He says, you're home. And he washes you clean. And he loves you. And he comforts you. And he encourages you. And he fills you. And he empowers you. And he says, okay, are you ready now? Get back in there. Let's do it. Fight. Whenever God saves someone he puts in his or her heart a tenderness towards these warnings which either keeps you from stumbling initially or when you stumble brings you back Okay so what if somebody doesn't come back what if somebody doesn't respond to the warnings What if somebody just kind of keeps moving in that direction? If nothing changes, then what would that show? It would show that they've never had their heart changed. It would show that they never were saved. Maybe on the outside, maybe they're coming to church, but they've never had their heart changed so that they tremble at the warnings. Trembling at the warnings, taking the warnings seriously so that you fight against sin, so that when you stumble, you turn from sin back to Jesus for forgiveness and change and cleansing. Trembling against warnings is one of the signs that you've been saved. So do you see how I'm avoiding both of those errors? See if this works for you. This warning does apply to you. It does apply to you. It's true. If, if, I, Steve Fuller, continue in sexual sin. I could lose heaven and face hell. If I continue, I could. Right? Nothing inconsistent with that and that God keeps you all on the road. Everybody who's saved. Just if I do, I could. So the warning does apply to me. Then the other extreme, the person who says, well, that must mean then that you can be saved and, and end up not in in heaven, that's not true. Because if you've been saved, God's changed your heart so you're tender towards the warnings, so you respond towards the warnings, you tremble at the warnings so that you resist the temptation when it comes, or if you stumble, you turn back and you get back at fighting. So I think we've avoided both of those errors. So here's what, here's what I preach to myself when I'm tempted. Fuller, if you go this road, you could lose heaven. Heaven. And face hell. I love Jesus for giving this to us. Listen, sexual temptation can be very powerful. You know that? And we need big guns to shoot it down. And this is a big gun. Fuller, you continue in sexual sin, you could lose heaven and face hell. I tell you, it's powerful. Okay? Hello! Right? So men, women, I don't really know how this all works for women, but anyway, apply it as it applies. But men, preach this to yourself. In your DNA groups, preach this to each other. This is how we should be talking to each other. If you, brother, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you, if you continue in this path, you could go to hell. I love you. Don't. Fully biblical statement. Okay? So that, that's how we should take this warning. Picture it like this. The road to heaven, it's a long and windy road, like actually Paul McCartney wasn't thinking about the road to heaven anyway. It's a long and windy road, and it's got some some turns that are very dangerous with steep drops off into sexual sin. The road to heaven. Okay, it's got some windy, windy sections, some dangerous curves there. Now God has committed that everyone he saves is going to make it all the way in that road to the end. So he does two things to make sure this happens. He loves us. It's beautiful. One is, at every dangerous curve, he's got a barrier with a big sign. Warning! If you move towards the edge here, you could go over and be lost forever. At every curve, warning! 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 Okay, he loves us. So one thing he does is he gives us these big warning signs. I mean, There's all these signs on the road. second thing he does is then he changes our hearts. He gives us hearts which pay heed to those warnings. So when we read we say, what's that? I'm kind of curious. What, what are we talking about over here? I don't know. Because your heart's been changed by God's saving work, you tremble at God's word. And you, 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 you stay back. Or if you get a little, little too close, you'll repent before you go over. That's how it works. So that's what God does. He puts these warnings... See, these warnings are the way that God keeps us per- persevering in faith to the end. God promises that He will, once He saves you, He will keep you on the road to heaven. You will not fall off that road. One of the ways He keeps you on the road is through the warnings. Warnings don't teach that we could fall off the road. Warnings are the way we stay on the road. You see how this works? Some of you a whole different way of seeing warnings. See, and I want to encourage us: we've got to read the Bible and take every part of it to heart. Some of you have probably been puzzled by the warnings. How what do we do with these warnings? This just doesn't sound like it's gospel. Do you see now why the warnings are gospel? I love the warnings. I need the warnings. You should love the warnings. You need the warnings. Love the warnings. And the promises and everything else too. So that's how Jesus motivates us. Jesus envisions his followers as regularly saying to themselves, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, or 29 and 30. If I continue in this course of sexual sin, I could lose heaven. And you preach that to yourself. It's not all that you preach. Okay? There's all other promises. But this is the one he gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're focusing on this one. Okay, so don't take this warning lightly. What is at stake in your battle against sexual sin is eternity. That's what he's saying. It's eternity eternity. So, how can we fight sexual sin? Let me give you seven steps. Let, let's say that maybe you use porn, or you, you have a habit of taking second, third, and fourth looks, or you're, you're fantasizing about the guy, the trainer at the gym, or... And I do think some of some of you probably feel really defeated in this area. And I just I want to just tell you, Jesus Christ does stand before you with... And he says... You will know the truth, John 8:32, and the truth will set you free. He promises freedom. Not sinlessness, but freedom. Growing, experienced freedom. And let me give you seven steps that I, I think you'll find helpful. First, where we always start, and then where we stay, turn to Jesus. Trust Him. And ask Him for help. See, again, Jesus doesn't give us commands that he wants us to push ourselves to obey. He gives us reasons, warnings, promises, and when we bring those to him and say, use these warnings, promises, reasons to change my heart. Bring your Holy Spirit upon me now. Change my heart. Empower me. Enable me. Free me. Fill me. When you turn to Jesus, you can come to him as you are. You don't need to get rid of the sexual temptation first. You don't need to change your heart first. You come to him as you are. And you say, here I am, poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. Help me. Wash me. Change me. Cleanse me. And he will look upon you with love, compassion, care. He will say, I am so glad you came. We need to clean you up. You're not looking so good. Let's wash you here. Angels, fire hose, okay, whatever it might be, gets all cleaned up, forgive, fill. But it all starts not with you trying to make yourself good enough, but it starts with you coming to Jesus as you are, saying, here I am. Help me. I'm bringing nothing to the table but my gunk. Wash me, cleanse me, and he will. That's the first step. Second, resolve to spare no effort isn't that the point of Jesus' metaphor here about gouging out the eye and cutting off the hand he wants you to understand that because heaven and hell are at stake no cost is too great no cost is too great so he wants you to resolve to spare no effort so just get that firm and and settle in your spirit no cost is too great Everything's at stake here Jesus help me What, what would you have me do? That's the second step. Third step, consider changing your environment. Okay, like Potiphar. I love Potiphar. I mean, not Potiphar, Joseph. Remember Joseph in Potiphar's house? She was trying to seduce him. What did he do? He ran. Okay, time to get out. Okay, just change. Out of town, out of Dodge, we're going. Um, now, there's, there's no like one size fits all of what you know. each person here ought to do the same in this way, but you know who you are. You know what your weaknesses are. You know what your strengths are. But the point is, there's no cost that's too great. So you might need to, like, call up DirecTV and say, cancel my subscription. Are you kidding me? What would I do without cable TV? Well, you could gouge your eye out if you wanted to, <laughs> right? And see, we've got to understand, folks, it's war. Now, you may not need to do that, but you might need, you might need to do that. If you need to do that, what should you do? Do it! Do it! Okay? Or, you might need to change gyms. Right? You might need to change jobs. Are you kidding me? I've got a great job. I've got a great job. I I may not get as good a job. Okay, listen. What would Jesus say to that? Would you rather go to hell having had a great job than go to heaven having had a lesser job? Isn't that what he would say? Church, are you hearing this? This is what he would say with tears and with seriousness and with love for you and say, are you not getting this? You might need to put a porn filter on your computer. You might need to cancel your Sports Illustrated subscription. Right? You might need to call ahead of time and have the hotel. Could you turn the TV off for this room? Thank you. Or turn those channels off. However they do it, thank you. Right? So change your environment. Now, changing your environment only gets you some breathing room. It does not solve the problem because the environment is not the problem. Where's the problem? Moi. Okay? Here's where the problem is. So this fourth step is the most important step. Pursue the all-satisfying presence of Jesus through prayer, God's word, worship, and fellowship. Ask this question. When was the last time that you felt the presence of Jesus in your heart so deeply that you said with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. How long has it been since you have felt that? See, this is the key. Because Jesus will and can so fill your heart with his love and his presence that you will say, besides you, I desire nothing on earth. See, why do you click on porn? It's because your heart's empty. Right? You're looking for some excitement, you're looking for some joy, you're looking for some pleasure. It's because your heart's empty. There's nothing wrong with pursuing joy, pleasure, and excitement. What's wrong is to pursue it in sin. Because it won't satisfy you. Jesus put, your, put a desire in your heart for pleasure and joy to be met where? In Him. Beholding Him. It's, like I love that verse we had up here, it's in His presence that there's fullness of joy. Porn can't hold a candle to the joy you have in beholding Jesus Christ. No comparison. No comparison. So see, this is the crucial issue to meet the Lord, to, to soak yourself in the Word. So here's the deal. A preventative measure. Each day, start the day off getting your heart filled up with the presence of the living God through the Scriptures. Every day. Get your heart filled up. Don't go into the day with your heart empty. Suicidal! Are you kidding me? Going into going to your office with an empty heart? You would do that? It's like going into a war with, like, no weapons, no helmet. Shoot me! Shoot me, somebody! Don't go to the gym with an empty heart. Preventative medicine. Meet the Lord. I, I might need to get up early if I do that. What would Jesus say? Would you rather go to hell, having gotten all kinds of sleep, or go to heaven and be a little tired through the day? Isn't that what he would say? With love, with tears, with pleading. Okay. And then, when temptations come your way, set your heart on Jesus. Say, "Help me." Look at the cross. Meet me. Satisfy me. Change your environment. Leave the gym. Whatever you need to do. Okay, that's fourth. This is that is the key issue. That's the, the reason that you lost is because you've sought your heart satisfaction in the inferior pleasures of sexual pleasure and not in Jesus Christ. That's why. Don't do that. Go for the real pleasure. The highest pleasure. The all-satisfying pleasure. The eternal pleasure. Jesus. Fifth, talk to your spouse about your sexual relationship with each other. Sex within marriage is a powerful weapon against sexual temptation. Husband, you need to help your wife in this area. Wife, you need to help your husband in this area. And you need to talk together about it. You might say, Hun, could we talk? Remember Pastor Steve's sermon last Sunday? Could we talk about this? And, and if you haven't talked about it, and it may be a, an area of pain, maybe an area of, of bitterness, get your heart right before the Lord, but then just talk and say, Hun, you, you could, could you help me in this area more? And so, husband, you need to help your wife in this area. Bless her sexually. Serve her sexually. Wife, you need to help your husband in this area. Bless him sexually. Serve him sexually. It's a powerful weapon against Satan's temptation. He hates that. Satan hates that. When godly husband, godly wife, bless, serve, and care for each other sexually. So talk to each other. Now, I know this. If, you, if it's been a long time since you've talked, there may be a lot of resentment built up and it may be very painful, but do it this week. Do it this afternoon. Talk. Be humble. Be gracious. Be forgiving. Be sensitive. Be affirming. Be caring. And then make the changes that are needed. Okay? What if you're not married? God will give you all the grace you need. Memorize Second Corinthians 9 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I mean, it just covers it from every single angle. God will give you grace to be so strong in Christ, so satisfied in Christ, that you can keep sexual temptation at bay. He will. Sixth, get support from brothers or sisters. Support can be really helpful. Accountability can be really helpful. Not because, yike, if I click on this, I'm going to tell my brothers and they're going to think poorer of me. Jesus doesn't like that kind of practicing righteousness. We'll talk about that in a few verses here, okay? It's because your brothers and your sisters can say, "Jesus is worth it all." If you're fighting temptation, Jesus is worth it all. Set your heart on Him. He'll meet you. He's met me. He'll be faithful. He'll change your heart. He'll lift the lust off of you. He will change you. You will see it happen. Or if you've stumbled, they'll say, he loves you, he'll forgive you. Turn back to him right now. Let's pray with you. Let's bring you back to the Lord right here and right now. So you need accountability, you need support, you need brothers around you. This is what our DNA groups are about. I'm hoping that in all of our DNA groups, which are men's groups, women's groups, that we we can come together and we can share every sexual temptation we've experienced that week and the wins and the losses. Openly. Confidentially. Openly. And then we pray and we encourage, and we inspire each other. <laughs> Seven. if and when you stumble, run back to Jesus. Run. Do not walk. Run. Don't mope. Don't, woe is me. Don't, I should go to church first, get on his good side, then I'll come back. No. Run to him now. Turn to him now. And he will smile He will welcome you. He will comfort you. He will encourage you. He will satisfy you. He will forgive you. He will wash you. He will free you. He will meet you. And you'll be back on the road. Okay? So those are seven suggestions I would encourage you to take. Wherever you go, whatever help you get, make sure that Jesus Christ is at the very center of it. Okay, and I know that you guys would agree with that. Make sure that the, the power which is being tapped into, which is being encouraged, which is being recommended to you, is the all-satisfying presence of Jesus Christ. Because that is the power that overcomes temptation. And uh, that, that's going to be the, the heart of the whole thing, so that Jesus is the one who's exalted, and so that we are fully liberated and freed, and so it's very gospel-centered. You know, we've got to stop, but if you've got questions or comments, talk to me. Or email them, and we can talk more. But let's stand up. Here's here's my final word to us. Eternity is at stake in, in the area of sexual sin. And the scriptures give us how to be freed from sexual sin. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's what this is about. So the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. The scriptures. So God has given you everything that you need, and he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct you, but just let, let this warning rest on you in a way that, that drives you to Jesus. Eternity's at stake. He loves you, he cares about you, he will meet you, he will help you. So Lord, I pray for your power to come upon us. Those who are feeling defeated, Meet them now, Lord, with your presence. Pour out your grace upon them. Comfort them. Let them see that as they turn to you, you are running towards them. Lord, those who have not taken these warnings seriously and who really aren't even that concerned right now, I pray that you would cause them to tremble before your warning. Lord, those who are fighting right now temptation, that you would meet them right now. Lord, those who need to get stronger, richer time with you, I pray that you would do this for them. Meet them in that. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us to give us this warning. Thank you for your love for us to change our hearts so we tremble at this warning. Thank you that you'll give us everything we need so that we can pay heed to this warning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.